You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. You may open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We continue our series in, called House of Prayer. Acts chapter 4. We'll get there in just a moment. As you're turning to Acts chapter 4, a few years ago, my wife Jill and I, we were passing through Charlotte, North Carolina, and looking for things to do while we were there, and it was highly recommended that we visit the Billy Graham Library, and we were not disappointed that we did. Uh, The Billy Graham Library is dedicated, obviously, to the life and ministry of Billy Graham, and just kind of summarizing, commemorating all that God had done with this man, his family, and his ministry. And there's a thing called the journey of faith. And the journey of faith is you have, uh, you walk through um, at the Billy Graham Library this whole kind of setup of uh, remembering and they have different kind of, um, it's like a whole kind of tour of his life. And, and they've kind of done up all these things to kind of make you feel like you're in the first kind of meeting where he was gathered in Los Angeles and whatnot and go through the coats everywhere and you listen to audio and you watch different video clips. It's very, very powerful. In fact, I recommend it to any of you if you pass through there and have the time to be able to do that. Here's a picture of what the Billy Graham Library looks like actually on the screen. Um, it's a beautiful place. It's really a humble place. It's a pretty simple place, but it's so well done. I mean, just so much what you would think that people love the Lord Jesus Christ would do. Simple, humble, but powerfully and wonderfully done um, as well. And so we went through this journey of faith, and I have to be honest, it was really overwhelming to me. In fact, I just made sure that my memories were correct. I looked back to my journal this week because I knew I would have written something down about our experience there based on what I remember emotionally about it. And sure enough, as I looked at my journal, as we went through the whole time, I said I had tears just filling my eyes and kind of filling my cheeks and just felt the Holy Spirit and the presence there the entire time. Very, very inspiring for my wife and I. Like just very challenging and encouraging and convicting and just trying to understand really why that is true. I think you're just looking at the grace of God. You're just testifying and seeing how much God has done and how many lives he has changed and just with such an honor and such a desire to honor the Lord as well through the whole thing. It's just, just, it just, just was dripping uh, God's grace and Holy Spirit, which is just so right. So in this journey of faith, there's all these plaques and quotes and stuff like that. And a few of them really, really got my attention. And one of them in particular got my attention. I want to read it to you. Um, it said this, A quote from Billy Graham, he says this, kind of nearing the end of the journey of faith, summarizing his ministry. He says, the secret is not me. Many people think that somehow I carry a revival around in my suitcase. And they just announce me and something happens, but that's not true, he says. Uh, This is the work of God, and the Bible warns that God will not share his glory with another. All the publicity we receive sometimes frightens me because I feel that therein lies a great danger. He says this, if God should take his hand off me, I would have no more spiritual power. And then this, the whole secret of the success of our meetings is spiritual. It is God answering prayer. It is God's answering prayer, he says, I cannot take credit for any of it. Now the reason that struck me so much is that Graham's summary of his entire ministry is really found in two words, answered prayer. I mean, that's remarkable. Of all the things we see and hear and all this stuff, according to his own testimony, to summarize his entire ministry is answered prayer. 
And in fact, when you start to unpack the role of prayer behind the Billy Graham meetings, crusades, events, whatever you want to call it, it's incredible to look at how much emphasis was placed on prayer behind this ministry. Every city that Billy Graham visited, did you know that there was 12 months of prayer engaged before the meeting actually happened? Hundreds of people and pastors and volunteers and just people who love the Lord were gathered simply to pray for weeks and months leading up to these events. It's no surprise then when you have an organization that's so firmly convinced of the power of prayer and they actually live it out, then you start to see God do amazing things. Loved ones, it's not supposed to be a secret. Prayer works. And the reason we fail to see God doing stuff in our lives is because we don't pray. And the reason we're living lives with so little power is because we don't pray. Right now, again, let me just say this. This is what Billy Graham says, and I want to make sure you see it. I want to highlight it, and we can take note of it, all right? The whole secret of the success of our meetings is spiritual. It's God answering prayer right from the mouth of the man himself. I cannot take credit for any of it. I was reading this morning in Spurgeon's letters to his students in his pastor's college. There's a whole chapter there on the preacher's prayer. It's unbelievable to me the emphasis he places upon the power of prayer for ministry. You've heard this before, and I've said it maybe even recently. When Spurgeon's preaching, he's standing in his pulpit. If he's not sensing the power of God's spirit, he stomps on the floor because on the basement, that's where the people prayed. Keep praying. That's awesome. Again, some of the most gifted, fruitful men ever, fully and absolutely convinced as to the necessity and the power and the opportunity of prayer. And it's not surprising then we see the exact same truth in God's word today. It's exactly what we see from the early church from the first church, from this church that would be used, as the Bible says, to turn the world upside down. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31 is where we will look today. This is such a beautiful passage. This is the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts. This is the early church believing in prayer, relying on prayer, living out prayer. Listen, listen and leading to answered prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Just before we get there, the context of Acts 3 and 4, a, li- a lame beggar was healed at the beginning of Acts chapter 3. That is so significant because this lame beggar was lame from birth, it says in chapter 3, right, right there at the beginning. And then what's significant, if you look at Acts 4 verse 22, the Bible tells us the reason this miracle was so profound is because this man was more than 40 years old. It says that right in the Word, okay? Telling us, for four decades, this man was lame. Peter and John come along. And this man's there looking for alms. He's looking for donations. And Peter, I love this so much, he looks at him and something you wouldn't expect him to say. And he says, look at us. And the man turns, the lame man again from birth, being lame 40 years. He looks expecting some handout. And Peter says, silver and gold I have not. But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And all God's people said, 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Right? And he does. And can you imagine 40 years in that way? And all of a sudden, the strength that fills your legs and strengthens your ankles, and you get up and you begin to walk, and you know who has done this. The man, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, and he leaps and he praises and gives glory to God. Now, when that happens, man, Jerusalem is set off in chaos in a good way. And the news is spreading like wildfire. And the chief priests and the religious authorities, they get wind of this and they're mad. Of course they're mad. They're mad because it's not about them. They're mad because they want all the attention. They're mad because they want the glory. And they're mad and they bring Peter and John in and they arrest them, put them in custody and said, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus. You cannot teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John say, whether it's right to listen to God is for you to judge, but for we know this, we must speak of what we have seen and heard, bless their hearts. And then that takes us to our passage today, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Notice, and when they, the apostles, were released, released from custody from the religious leaders, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Notice this. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said. Let's just stop there for a second. This is so important. This is so amazing. The apostles return to their friends. They report what's happened to them. They are instructed by the highest religious authority of that day. Stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. They were threatened. They were intimidated. What's the response to this threat and intimidation? Here it is. Prayer meeting. Let's call and let's start a prayer meeting. Just a little side note, which I just, I just found delectable this week. Tozer said this. Okay, notice this. In light of culture, in light of all that's happening, in light of our context right here, Tozer said this. To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. Isn't that so true? The apostles, they were so right with God, man. They were hearts that were pure. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had courage for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They were exactly in the will of God. Notice, notice, notice. They were precisely in the will of God, and yet they were in great trouble with men. Because largely, it is true, that men, humankind, the world, will not understand the things of the Spirit, it is largely anti-Christ. And for us to be right with God will often mean we will be in trouble with humanity. So be it. Lord, lead us. So what they do, they start this prayer meeting. Notice the phrase in verse 24. They lifted their voices together. That is beautiful. What is this? This is prayer, but this is corporate prayer. Notice this too, when crisis hits, their holy reflex is prayer. What's your reflex when crisis hits? What's my reflex when difficulty comes upon our lives? For the early church, I love that phrase, holy reflex was prayer. What's our reflex? Stress, worry, panic, anxiety. Control, manipulation, hold on tighter. But if it's a holy reflex, it should be prayer. See the word together there? This word together occurs 11 times in the New Testament. 10 of them are found in the book of Acts. Together means one mind and one passion. 
um, they lifted their voices in one mind. They lifted their voices in prayer in one mind and passion. They lifted their voices with unity, understanding who they were praying to and why they were praying. Unmistakably here, loved ones, the power of uniting in prayer together, lifting voices in prayer together, such a big deal to the Lord. And by the way, I'm, like I don't like to say this, but I do like to say this. If you missed the prayer meeting this week, you missed out. You missed out, man. You all should have come. Say, it's, it's something special when God's people, just because, because God says it is. Because God says it is when the people gather. We had so many people here. It was so encouraging. I just, I'm just so thankful. I do not take for granted a church filled with people who believe in prayer. It's, it's one of the most beautiful things we could ever see. It's like the furnace for this whole church. I mean, it, you know, even being in this series right now, it just feels so safe, doesn't it? It just feels so right in terms of, like, you just know you can't go wrong. Like, it's so much to the heart of God. And so if we're going to err on anything, let's err on this. And by the way, if you don't pray, nothing else is going to happen anyways. You start to pray, and all these other things start to fall into place because that's how the Lord works. You look to him, you love him, you depend on him, you cry out to him. And it's amazing then, seek first the kingdom... And his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You miss the prayer piece, you miss the intimacy piece, you miss the communion with God piece, and you miss everything. It's wonderful to pray together. God, give us the hunger and desire to continue to do it, to keep showing up. Remember, prayer's the fire in the church, man. It will always be tempted to go out. You gotta keep throwing logs and logs and logs on the fire of prayer. But watch now what the early church does here. The early church is going to see answered prayer, okay? At the end of our text today, they see the answered prayer of God. So my question is, okay, what do they know about the path of answered prayer? What do they do? What path of prayer do they travel to see prayer answered at the end? We wanna learn from this. What is, the, what is the format, what are the convictions of the early church regarding prayer? Because we want their convictions to be our convictions, and that leads us to our outline today. We say three main convictions based on this text regarding answered prayer within our lives. Notice this, conviction number one, they were praying to the sovereign one, and they knew it, and therefore they had tons of faith. We are called loved ones to pray to the sovereign one. And when we know we're praying to the sovereign one, we will have much faith. Look at verse 24. They lifted their voices together to God and said, okay, here's their prayer. Ready? Here we go. What do they know that we don't? Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. By the way, loved ones, every phrase in these verses here is dripping with the sovereignty of God. Every phrase. I mean, I get so encouraged with passages like this. I pray you do too. Why? Because God is on his throne. He is in control. He is not worried. He is awesome. He is glorious. He is the King of kings. He is truly the Lord of lords. He made all of creation, verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Now, by the way, I just want to point this out. This doesn't really have to do with this message today, but it's right here in Word, so it's so awesome. Notice, as the apostles pray, or the early church prays, verses come to mind, and they say here, David said, by your Holy Spirit. The early church already has a rock-solid foundation of the doctrine of the Word of God. They already know that the verses they are quoting here from the Old Testament are the authority of God, have been inspired by God, are inerrant in God, that take the whole divine revelation of God. They already know it, who David said, by the Holy Spirit. Love that, man. Take God's word seriously. They did. little tangent, but I was excited about that one, right? He says here, why did the Gentiles, and now they're quoting Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Why did the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed? Notice their connection here. For truly, verse 27, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, who gathered against them. Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, watch this, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Again, can you say sovereignty? Ah, uh, yes, the sovereignty of God. Okay, hey, what's the early church doing here? Look, every phrase is God's in control, God's in control, God's in control. Every phrase, every phrase there. Same God then, same God now. Notice this, the early church is handed a crisis and their first response is what? Is to stare in the sovereignty of God. You see that right here, loved ones? Before their petition to God is their praise of God. See that? Before they request of God, they recognize God. They see that they are praying to the sovereign God over all of creation. In verse 24, they say, Sovereign God, you are sovereign over the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in it. They are praying to the master of the universe because he created everything. Every creature, every plant, every planet, every person, everything God created. Who's in charge? God's in charge, and they know it. Hey, is your heart beating right now? I pray that it is. I pray that it is. Did you know, dear, if your heart's beating right now, that's the Lord Jesus Christ who causes your heart to beat every single beat. Bum, 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 bum. That's all the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ allows your heart to beat right now. Are your lungs breathing right now? I pray it is, young man. They are breathing right now. He's sure of that. That's good. He's breathing. You can take a deep breath right now like this, and you can breathe out. That's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, the Lord Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power, man. Everything is united in him. Jesus Christ allows you to exist. All the millions of cells in your body, all the strands of DNA, the complexities, the things that baffle the, the human mind, all of that is kept in place by Jesus Christ the Lord. He is sovereign over all. There is none like him, and the early church knows it. Tell me, how do your prayers change when you start this way? How does your prayer life get amped up a little bit when all of a sudden you start off with a sovereign God over the universe, not to mention over creation, and not to mention the sovereign God over history? Look at verse 25 again. Through the mouth of your father David, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage, plot against the Lord, and gather against the Lord and his anointed? Then we see Herod and Pontius Pilate as an example of that. See what's happening here? The early church knows God is sovereign over all of humanity and history. Can I also point that out too? Notice as they pray and led by the Spirit of God, 
all that's happening here, these verses are filled and saturated with Scripture. Isn't that beautiful? They are praying, and whether they mean to or not, as they pray, the Bible just flows out of them. Word and prayer, loved ones, word and prayer. I mean, this whole text is a classic description, and Pastor Greg even said it today in his announcement, Daniel Henderson's phrase, this is Scripture-fed, Spirit-led, worship-based prayer. Scripture is feeding their prayer. The Spirit here is, again, leading their prayer, and worship is the ultimate goal of their prayer. They recognize that God is sovereign over history. In their prayer, they quote directly from Psalm 2. Now, that fascinates me because I've always loved Psalm 2. One of the reasons I've always loved Psalm 2 is because it's the sovereignty of God on steroids. I mean, you could read it afterwards, but it talks about how the nations and kings are trying to rally and counsel against the Lord. And what, what Acts 4 doesn't give you that Psalm 2 does give you is how the Lord responds to human rulers who try to usurp his authority or take counsel against him. Here's what Psalm 2 says about humans gathering against him. He who sits in the heavens laughs. I, I really like that. I do because like... You look around us and all the arrogance and all the pomp and all the boasting and all the pride and all the presumption, all these little human creatures that think they're so tough and they say all these things that are just spitting in God's face and murdering his son. At the end of the day, God, he's, no, he's sitting. He's not pacing. He's sitting and he's like, Pfft. he holds them in derision. He like mocks them. He's like, really? Is that all you got? Really? I mean, Psalm 2 is pretty awesome because at the end of the day, we find out, man, our God is in control. He is sovereign over all of history. He is not worried. He is not panicking. In fact, these aren't my words. I almost feel like I'm like adding to the Bible here. No, no, God's laughing. He's laughing at man's attempts. I want you to also see this in the text. What the early church understands is the trial that has come against them, specifically in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but even the persecution they're facing as well, they know, loved ones, ready? They know this has been foreseen by God. They know this has been predestined by God. They know that God is the ultimate planner over all of history. So watch, ready? Here we go, here we go. Application right now. When they look at the hardship coming upon them, they know God is orchestrating all of it in his good and perfect will, even though they can't fully understand it all. And that encourages them to not give up. That encourages them that God is on his throne. That encourages them that they belong to the one who is the sovereign God over all of history and creation. See what's happening there? They are so encouraged by the fact they are praying to a God who will never be thwarted and his power oversees all. Sovereignty is special. God's sovereignty is powerful. The more we dwell on the sovereignty of God, the more the prayers from our life should be powerful alongside it. And then notice in verse 27 and 28, for truly in this city, now they're just saying, just happened moments ago before them, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they gathered against him. Do you know that um, Herod and Pontius Pilate were enemies before Jesus? But then Jesus comes along, and this is just wickedness, they make friends because they both wanted to kill Jesus or see him gone. And so they become friends surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. 
So everyone's stacked against Jesus. Everyone. But notice verse 28. This has to be underlined in your Bible, man. You've got to make sure you see this when you go there again. Like, like, look at what's happening with our God. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Awesome. I love the sovereignty of God. Love, 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 love the sovereignty of God. Can you imagine thinking that God wasn't in control? I mean, that would be stressful. So think about the early church here. All the worrying, panicking, grieving surrounding the crucifixion, that all becomes massive sources of faith and encouragement with the resurrection because at that moment they see, wait, 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 God was planning this all the time. God's in control of all this. God was the one that sent his son because he loved the world so much to die for us and raise him from the dead. God is behind this. God is in control. Our God is awesome. Again, the power of God's sovereignty over our prayer life. It fuels our faith. So this past week, our nation legalized marijuana. And you could be tempted like me sometimes, looking around and saying, oh no, everything's falling apart. Oh no, no, no. The whole thing's going down. And maybe it is. But if it does, it's according to the sovereignty of God. At the end of the day, you can legalize whatever you want. Our God is still sitting on his throne. Good spot for an amen. I'm glad you responded there. It's so true. And you think about it, you're like, God, he's, he's not worried about this. And there's consequences for it. But at the end of the day, it's okay. It's okay, loved ones, because our God is awesome. He is awesome. And we belong to him, and we know that. So we're tempted to despair again in light of what's happened this past week. Let us remember this. Before our prayer meeting, I was talking to Pastor Craig and asking for a little pithy phrase of how to summarize where we are. He's like, well, there's that saying that says, there's no high like the most high. And I was like, I laughed out loud. Yes, I remember that. That's awesome. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful phrase just to be saying out loud right now in the midst of all that's happening and just say, you can do whatever you want, man. But at the end of the day, there's no high like the most high. There's no one more beautiful. And I'm reading um, the book of Daniel right now. It's my personal readings. And that phrase or that, yeah, that description, most high, comes up all the time. It's a perfect week to see it all the time, man. There's no high like the most high. And the most high is on high. And he's awesome. He's so good and powerful and glorious. And it encourages us to continue to pray to the one who can do anything because he is sovereign. Hey, I, I might sense there's a little bit of faith growing in the room right now. Just a little bit, an increase of like expectation and kind of desire and pleasure for the Lord. Maybe so. There should be. There should be. When your theology's right and your prayers are aligned with that, man, faith grows. Conviction number two is this. We pray now to the supernatural one. And when we do that, more expectancy. Right? The sovereign one is also the one who's the supernatural one. Verse 29. Okay, notice what the early church does here. Watch, we're learning from them, right? We're learning from them. And now, Lord, because of your sovereignty, because you are sovereign over creation, humanity, because your whole plan's unfolding, you're perfect. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Okay, watch this, ready? The bigger God's sovereignty becomes, the smaller our problems feel. Right? Because when you're comparing, like, 
God's sovereignty, my problems, you know, like which one in the scale weighs more? The weight of God's glory and sovereignty makes our problems look pretty ridiculous in the span of eternity. Uh, here's a quote we've used before. I love this too. Here's a plaque that sits in our house. It's this. It was given to us as a good love that. Don't tell, don't tell God you have a big problem. Tell your problem you have a big God. Amen. That's exactly what the early church is doing right now, man. They're like, hey, God, you're, you're, you're in control of everything, man. Our problems right now, they may be significant on some level, but when compared to you, no, 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 you got it. You got it. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it won't be out cost. Doesn't mean there won't be persecution. But at the end of the day, you got it. You're in control. You're sovereign. You're sufficient. Notice the early church, they barely referenced the attack against them. And instead, watch this, instead of going on the defensive as the early church, they actually go on the offensive. You see that? They say, look upon their threats, Lord, and grant your servants to continue. Notice they don't say, look upon their threats, Lord, and find us a cave that we can hide in until you return. We're tempted to do that. They're like, and grant your servants boldness to continue, to continue to speak the word with all boldness. So this is beautiful and challenging. At least it is to me and it should be to us. In the midst of persecution, trial, and suffering, the church could easily circle the wagons here and again hide. But notice, their one main prayer request throughout this prayer is greater evangelism. That's their one main prayer request. And the opposition they face only intensifies their resolve for the gospel. So here's what's happening really in verse 29. God, you're the one, we're the vessels. You preach the gospel through us, but you do the supernatural work among us. I mean, that's what verse 30 is. Verse 30 says, And while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So God, we obey you, and you're the one who changes lives. Notice their expectancy here. Why? They know their God can't be stopped. Do we know that our God can't be stopped? They can't wait to see what he does next. Remember this too, lovins. Here's some contrast. Here's some context. We just saw this week marijuana legalized. The early church just saw evangelism criminalized. You are not allowed to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. What do they do when evangelism is criminalized? Their prayers for evangelism increase. Their desire for gospel boldness grows. Their expectation of God intensifies. What a challenge that is for us. Because what I know is our instinct in light of our day, I feel it, in light of current events is to and the cultural tie that's coming against us, our, our instinct can be just, again, be defensive. Get in the holy huddle and kind of just hunker down. What a boost of faith this is. This is a challenge for me to take hold of our sovereign God and not go on the defensive, but in light of all that's happening, actually go on the offensive for the gospel in our day. Notice, too, their strategy. Notice their strategy for the gospel against their persecution. Here's their strategy. Pray. What about the five ways to do this? And how about ten different tricks and how to be a better witness? And how about this way to reach the, the lost? And how about we try to kind of yeah, compromise in this way so we can kind of be liked more? And what about, think of all the strategies in our day, the capitulation, the temptation towards in the church. We've got to be liked by man. We've got to change this over here. We've got to make sure that all, the, all these temptations, at the end of the day, the church right now, they're like, pray. We've got to pray. 
Because when the Holy Spirit does it, he does it right every single time. Lord, grant your servants boldness to speak your word. Question for you and for me. How hard have you been praying for a specific gospel witness within your life? Be honest right now. I'm being honest too. How hard have you been praying for a specific gospel witness within your life? And a lot of us will say, well, actually, I haven't been praying much for that at all because I'm too busy praying for myself. Mm, yes. Yes, I know. That's my temptation too. But at the end of the day, loved ones, the people are going to heaven and people are going to hell. And the single greatest reason that we're placed here is to see disciples made for the Lord Jesus Christ. Question again. How hard have you been praying, like the early church right here, for a greater specific gospel boldness upon your life to witness to the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's what, um, here's what James Walker said about this kind of theme right here. I want you to see this. We've used this years ago, but I remember to hear It's in Daniel Henderson's book, one of his chapters. He said this, we spend more prayer energy trying to keep sick Christians out of heaven than we trying to keep lost people out of hell. Now, I know quotes like this can kind of cause ripples and ruffle feathers. Good. Good. It does for me too. Now, notice, the problem is not praying for sick Christians. The problem is when all our prayer energy is being used for this in the neglect of this. That's the problem. Where at the end of the day, those that end up here, they're blessed. Those who end up here are cursed. So it's, just, it's just good to take inventory for all of us and to be, what is the thrust? Are our prayers kingdom-minded or are they self-centered? Notice to the early church, notice they're not saying, Lord, give us an easier life. Notice they're not even praying for safety. Rather, they are praying for power. Not make my life easy, not make my life safe, but they're praying for power. In fact, their very prayer requests is really asking the Lord for more confrontation. You get that? Like if they have more gospel witness, there'll be more opposition. More opposition, they're really more in danger, so their very requests are putting themselves in danger. But they're not ultimately concerned about that because they're concerned about the gospel and the Lord Jesus changing lives as their lives have been so dramatically changed. And then notice this too. Notice the power is in the name of Jesus. Look at the end of verse 30. It says, in the name, in the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's where the power is. And this reminds us of our context for this text. Again, I referenced it already, but look at Acts 3 uh, verse 6. This is going back to how they got here in the first place. Again, the, the lame beggar who's looking for some financial donation or some food... And he looks at Peter and John. Peter and John say, look at us. I love that. How do you think Peter said that when he first said it? Was it like, look at us? Was it like, look at us? Was it like, look at us? Was it like that? I don't know. I don't know. But I love it. I always love that, man. There's authority in that right there. Notice verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. What I do, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. 
in the name above all names, in the name of the Alpha and the Omega and the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who holds the keys to death and Hades, in the name of the living bread and the door to heaven and the living water and the great I am, in the name of the master of the Lord of the universe, in the name who will judge the living and the dead, in the name of all glory, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. Are you praying in the name of Jesus Christ? I hope so, because there's no name like his name. Name above all names. Majestic and awesome and powerful and glorious, the name of Jesus. See what's happening here in the early church? They're like, our God is sovereign. The name of Christ is unstoppable. He's supernatural. They're filled with conviction and prayer. And then notice it leads them to this third conviction, which is this. We pray to the faithful one, which means we expect more fruit, more fruit. So now, loved ones, they see their prayers answered. See that? Their prayers now are answered. It's almost like the the state of their hearts is irresistible to God. It's like the posture of their souls is God delights in it so much. He rushes to those who know they need him. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Commentators speculate that that was some form of an earthquake. Whether it was like micro-local to where they were or beyond, we don't know. But imagine praying and amazing man amazing the place in which they were gathered together was shaken um, in the Old Testament a shaking place was a sign of the manifestation of God you know what God's saying to them right here he's like hey hey I've heard you I'm with you how encouraging is that it says and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit the single greatest difference maker in our lives, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Loved ones, one baptism, many fillings. This isn't Pentecost. Pentecost already happened. They had the Holy Spirit. They are filled, many fillings. We seek the filling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, again, this is the difference. This is the secret. God's Spirit equipping them, encouraging them, empowering them, emboldening them. The Holy Spirit. You and I try to witness for Christ on our own. We go out, we fall on our faces within three minutes. But the Holy Spirit is within us and he's the one who activates the courage that all of a sudden we're doing things we never ever thought we could do ever. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the secret and power to the early church. Remember too, the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. But just as much on the screen for you here, this is what's in my Bible. We've seen this before. I want to remind myself, it's also the Acts of the Holy Spirit, if not entirely. It's the Holy Spirit carrying the early church. It's the Holy Spirit allowing them to have the constant boldness and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you right now, you're like, man, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. How am I filled with the Holy Spirit? I want to just, here's some prayers that you can pray 
not as a formula, but as a true biblical understanding of how we clean our house to make room for a greater surrender and filling of God's spirit. Right now, men, prayers of confession, sin is the greatest blockage to God's power in our lives. Every sin you can think of, confess. Everything that comes to mind, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Repent, the power of repentance that times of refreshing might come, Acts Confess and repent. Think of the sins that are getting in the way of what God wants to do. Then prayers of surrender. You're saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. God, I'm a living sacrifice. I offer to you my body. I offer to you my soul. At the end of the day, God, my will has to be gone. Your will has to be front and center. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here's my life. Here's my life. Take and use me. Holy Spirit of God, you lead as you want to lead. You fill as you want to fill. And then, of course, ask. Ask. Our passage last week, how much more the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ephesians 5.18. But don't be drunk with wine. Don't get high in marijuana. But be filled by the Spirit. All those other things are, are, are just false, temporal nothings. Here, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then all of a sudden, we see gospel boldness witness upon our lives. And then notice the result of our early church here. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. A few chapters later, the book of Acts will describe the early church as those who have turned the world upside down. Really, loved ones, this this is the group of people that have allowed us to be where we are today, 2,000 years later, in a continent in a way that we might know the Lord Jesus Christ. It began with them and their dependence and prayer and the Holy Spirit for gospel boldness witness that send the Christianity throughout all the world, that has changed the world forever. God, help us to, to do our part right now in this day. So listen, God heard and answered their prayer. Whether Billy Graham or the early church or everyone in between or after, Again, it's not supposed to be a secret. Ready, loved ones? Listen to this. Listen to this. Prayer is the answer to answered prayer. You're like, I don't even understand what you just said. Prayer. It, it, you have not because you ask not. Prayer is the answer to answered prayer. What a beautiful text. God, may you give us boldness in the Holy Spirit to see the gospel go forward. I'm going to put a prayer request on the screen for you right here, and this comes right out of our text, basically, with a few added phrases. But see that there? And now, Lord, look upon the threat of our day and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And I just had to add in there, go, Lord, because we want to see God do great things. So what's the most fitting thing to do right now? It is to pray.